Movies and Booze. I'm Moncrief on News Talk. Yes, indeed. We are joined once again by Chris Wasser, Fanula Jones, and Leslie Williams. Good afternoon to you. Good all. afternoon. Hi, guys. Yeah, I see. Uh, I see, Leslie, that you brought in two reds. Today. I have two reds. Yes. So it's, uh, we're looking for a, a. It's a tannin orgy. We're going yeah, to have to do. Integrated tannins. Integrated yes. tannins that will that will that will luxuriously linger on your gums, but but then melt into 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 uh, beauteous harmony uh, on the on the, on your tongue. Okay, and he hasn't even drunk any. <laughs> um, so, uh, but they both have an Irish connection. Yes. Yes, um, uh, two women actually involved in it. That are one is the is the uh, agronomist, viticulturalist in the domain of Saravon, Isla Saint uh, Isla Gordon, who's married to an Australian winemaker. Another is uh, Nasa Corish Mikhail, who's um, uh, Nasa Corish from uh, Leopardstown. Oh, probably, Fox, probably Fox Rock sounds better. I think it's probably Fox Rock. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, she, <laughs> Depends if you're buying or selling property. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, no, no, well, Nasa. Well, I think she'll tell you herself. She was. Um, uh, an au pair and uh, on her first night arriving in as an au pair this, this year one year one summer um, she decided to go down to the local disco in um, in Carcassonne uh, in the old department and uh, quite liked the look of that car that that guy was driving and so hung around with him for a bit and anyway she's now married with three children with him right yeah. okay <laughs> and that's Laurent Mikel okay alright uh, so, and what um, kind and of so a disco she's, was she's a it? marketing manager kind of face if you will that she, right that turns up and one of those discos where you had to kind of paper plate with a bit of old curry yeah, on it know, at the end I, I, you had to stand for the possibly, national anthem. Possibly. Ah, it was a, a French disco. It was much more sophisticated than that, you know. It probably was. They probably didn't even bother dancing. <laughs> they just like stared at each exactly. other with contempt. Uh, still, it sounds fun. Uh, right. Okay. Now, the uh, Chris, the, the tar this film is kind of weird. It is kind of weird. It, it, no, it's weird in the sense that like people <laughs> people seem to be outraged about it in the sense it, it, almost like it's a documentary, even though it's a work of fiction. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because it actually plays out at times and goes out of its way to look and sound like it's a film about a real person. Mm. Uh, just from the way it opens, it actually opens with a, with a public interview listing all of this fictional character Lydia Tarr's achievements. And but the person that's interviewing Lydia Tarr is a real journalist from the New Yorker, and they had a real audience in. And so yeah, it does go out of its way, but it's. Been and kind of kicking up a fuss with people who some of whom haven't seen it some of whom have uh, I think if you are going to say something about it you probably have to go see it but yeah that's the first film we're going to be looking at the second uh, I was just saying earlier that we're looking at two films today that clock in around six hours two films just between six them. hours no. so between them Whoa. yeah oh no yeah. each Sean oh yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't that, be here that'll be next <laughs> <laughs> that'll be the end of me uh, but Babylon is the other one which is just this exercise in excess from Damien Chazelle he won uh, Oscars for La La Land he gave us Whiplash he gave us First Man and this is his film about the transition from silent film Hollywood to the talkies and how a bunch of fictional characters who are sort of an amalgamation of real life uh, uh, film stars from around that time um, how they dealt with that basically going from being you know, a big hit to mm. not so much a big hit. Uh, and you've got Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie in there. Right. Is Damien Chazelle be close to being accused of having a shtick now and kind of doing the same thing it, over and well, over? Well, I mean, well, Whiplash, no. Like, no. Like, same thing with uh, Whiplash. He's, he's sort of back in La La Land territory here, hmm. but if you can imagine if La La Land had been directed by Baz Luhrmann and maybe Quentin Tarantino at the same time, you get something like, you get something like Babylon. <laughs> I'd actually like to see that, yeah. Well, last time around, he gave us the Neil Armstrong biopic, which uh, which is a very different... Uh, yes, very different okay, fair enough. Him, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Okay, so... Uh, I, I'll withdraw that. Uh, has <laughs> Leslie ever tried Tom Hanks' cocktail of choice? He talked during the week about making a drink he loves called 
cocaine. It may not be spelled how it sounds. <laughs> it's diet coke and champagne together. Not sure how appetising it sounds. Oh God, that sounds awful. No, I would never drink that. Especially not with diet coke. But maybe Coke Zero. But oh no, even still, no, thank you, no. Why? why what's but, the but, difference? Well, there, between... was cla- there was a classic black velvet. That's a good drink. Now, yeah. it shouldn't be pints of Guinness. It shouldn't be nitro Guinness. It should be bottled Guinness. Bottled Guinness and and good champagne, half yes, and half, yes, is actually yeah. a very nice drink. Um, yeah. And there was a. It was that um, one of the produ- one of the promoters used to send that to uh, as a to any band that played. Who was what's not one of the big ones that you've heard it's of? Bono, uh, isn't it? Sends that there to oh, well, possibly Bono. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah. yeah it was well, probably Bono. Well, <laughs> <been a man>. <laughs> <laughs> no one else could afford it. <laughs> Bono that, went to see a friend of mine to play once and dropped in three bottles of uh, Don Perignon after the show. Wasn't that nice? Though? That was nice. Yeah. Did Bono know him? No, he just he really enjoyed the show and organised with some bottles of champagne to be delivered the next night. Okay. Because so. Billie Eilish was performing here recently and I think she, she had said that she was on this uh, podcast about The Office and she thought that um, you two were American. And when she came to Ireland <laughs> to perform, there was a box of Guinness and some champagne in her dressing room. And Good. it was from Bono and she didn't understand why Bono was sending that gift because he does that with all artists. Right. He does that with all, but he doesn't do that with, you know. Right. Sorry, small. your friend wasn't special, Leslie. He just does it with everybody. <laughs> he just has a warehouse full of Guinness he's trying to get rid of. Exactly. And uh, posing as a patron of the arts. Well, a sweet thing to do. So yes, that's ruined it. Michael Bay is a pigeon murderer, which isn't really that surprising. <laughs> Did he strangle it with his own hands? Is, is that the story? No, not quite. So basically the rap broke this story this week on uh, a pigeon potentially being murdered on the set of his movie Six Underground. What do you mean potentially murdered? It's either dead <laughs> well, or it's like, not. He, he, okay, so apparently there was two insiders who seem to have knowledge of the production. One says that they saw this pigeon being killed by a dolly, which is a piece of filming equipment, while they were shooting Six Underground. Um, witnessed it, took a photo and reported it to Italian authorities. And why that's significant is uh, pigeons are a protected species in Italy. Um, they have a national law that makes it illegal to harm, kill or capture any wild bird, which includes pigeons. Um, and they're also protected in the EU under the Birds Directive. So people are looking out for the pigeons. But anyway, they obviously went to the authorities with this so the rap broke this story on actually I think they went to Michael Bay then and they were like look you can pay a, you can pay a small fine like, and then we can just forget about this but he is just adamant that no bird was harmed on the set he, it's he like, yeah, it's like, hey, we pay a small fine yeah <laughs> cash this, preferably this quote he gave he said I was offered by the Italian authorities a chance to settle this matter by paying a small fine but I declined to do so because I would not plead guilty to having harmed an animal and then he'd sent this other letter to the rap for breaking the story basically saying that your story is particularly harmful and malicious because contrary to its implications Michael Bay is an animal rights activist he passionately loves animals as his track record shows as a result of your story however his name is now associated with killing or murdering they're both in inverted commas (laughs) an animal uh, (laughs) connoting intent he is therefore being unfairly maligned and attacked indeed there are now numerous articles and countless social media images associating Mr Bay with killing or murder which have gone around the world he's uh, he's never associated with the words (laughs) killing or murder So, uh, so he loves animals, just not humans. Yeah, just, it seems. Uh, but so yeah. he's completely denied those those, those scurrilous. There's no chance, like he's not going to be cancelled or anything. By I mean, maybe in the groups. pigeon community, yeah, yes. but <laughs> at the at the wider community at large, remains to yeah. be seen. Well, I look forward to Michael Bay's remake of The Birds. <laughs> uh, right now, the Baftas. 
Yes. Let me ask you a question about the BAFTAs. Who else were nominated apart from uh, Banshees? Let's just ignore Banshees for a minute because, you know, everyone's ah, yeah. talked about that They cleaned that up. Yeah. We'll get to it. But the other kind of big, not winner yet, but in terms of nominations, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front, the World War One drama, I think Brian Lloyd reviewed mm-hmm. it on the yeah. show and yeah. really liked it. Uh, 14 nominations. It actually ties Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon as the most nominated non-English language film in the awards history. Um, it's kind of been gen- like gathering steam kind of slowly but surely because it kind of didn't get a look in initially but seems like it's going to clean up here. Uh, Gandhi is the most nominated film this year with 16 awards and then we have... Uh, Gandhi? Yeah, which kind of... I, have you seen it, Chris? I haven't. No, this I haven't totally seen it. I didn't know. Is this a remake of, of... I'm not sure. Yeah. Just one of those ones again that just... Attenborough thing. That was a while ago now, to be fair. What? That was about 25 <laughs> years ago. That was 25 years ago. That was a slow burner if it's only getting awards now. <laughs> um, so yeah, it seems like All Quiet is potentially going to clean up and then Banshees, like, Banshees has 10, everywhere, everything all at once has uh, also 10, I think. Elvis has nine. Tar has five nominations. Uh, in the acting categories, Kerry Condon's up for Best Supporting Actress, Colin Farrell's up for Best Actor, Brennan Gleeson and Barry Keown are both up for Best Supporting Actor. Some, maybe not surprises, but like, good to see them getting a look in. Daryl McCormack is also up in Best Actor. He was in Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, which is probably one of my favourite films of last year and I kind of think went unnoticed. It's definitely on streaming somewhere. Go watch it. Paul Mescal is up for After Sun. An incredible performance there. Um, and uh, I should say Daryl McCormack is also up for the Rising Star Award. And then on Colin Kewan also got uh, nominations yeah. for Best Film Not in the English Language and Best Adapted Screenplay which is very significant Irish film in the Irish language. Oh so. no, absolutely. It's just a significant film full stop whether yeah. it's an Irish or not. Yeah. Uh, it must be said. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once got nine nominations. That film's completely bonkers. <laughs> have, have you seen in a good <laughs> way. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You'd kind of watch it three or four times yeah. and go, okay, I didn't get that. Yes, that, was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that was really nuts altogether. Right. So uh, we have uh, already a, a question in for you, Leslie. Yeah. Um, Ted wants to know, where could I get a good Bordeaux wines? Something like uh, a Lynch or a Chateau Lagrange. I live in, I live in County Limerick. Oh, uh, well, Limerick fine wines should have a few. Um, mm. Now, there's a decent couple of decent carryouts there as well. Uh, I'm trying to think about other Limerick shops. I mean, Galway would probably be a better bet than Limerick. I, I mean, Limerick does have something. That, so the Limerick Fine Wines chain is the big yeah. one. And if you go, to, if you find their biggest one, they should have a few decent bottles now. Right. Um, <sighs> Worldwide Wines in Waterford. How far is Waterford from Limerick? That's a bit of a distance, isn't it? Yeah. It's all bogger land to you, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. Uh, we'll take the shovel back off Leslie again and uh, tell us about your first wine today. Right, the first wine, which I'm going to pour you all a little bit of now, is um, Shadow Casal Viel, and it is the top wine, pretty much, of um, a producer called Laurent Michel. And uh, that's what I was mentioning earlier. So, Laurent himself is married to an Irish girl called Nessa Corish Michel, and uh, they have about three kids. And basically, um, it's uh, this is a family estate, but Laurent is probably more better known because of uh, all the other wines that he makes um, because uh, he um, would supply quite a bit of um, Dunn's sort of 10, 12 euro wine all these uh, various um, 
uh, varietal things like Viognier's and uh, Sauvignon Blancs and, and Grenaches and so on. And they've always kept their Irish connection. So the, the one of the ranges in Duns is Sullis, as in, as in light. Uh, there's one of the wines that's called Connemara. Um, so Ness is oh. very involved in all the marketing and uh, she's usually the one, hand, you know, convince people to buy the wine at the wine fairs and so on. Uh, and I've actually visited the, the estate. It's, it's gorgeous on a big high hill overlooking the land. I mean, parts of the Languedoc are quite flat, but there's lots of hilly cold bits as well. And um, yeah. so this is their, their top wine. saint Chinien is kind of the most, um, well, I would argue probably the most interesting of the sub-Appalachians of the Languedoc. So the Languedoc is huge. You're talking 300,000 hectares, yeah. almost 3,000 miles. Um, it's the biggest wine region in the world. And a lot of it is co-ops and not very interesting, rather dull wine. Um, but having said that, uh, it's always of interest. It's it, like it's, it, they can make good wine there. I mean, um, it's reckoned that one in every 10 bottles of wine drunk in the 20th century probably came from the Languedoc because that's how much they made. Um, Crazy. Uh, and, yeah. and presumably because it's, it's well, I mean, it, 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 is the Languedoc really more kind of towards the Atlantic side than the Mediterranean it, side? It kind of covers both. Which yeah. is, it's from the middle to the to the Mediterranean. Yeah. It is a Mediterranean climate. I mean, All right. Okay, that's um, what I meant. Is there a difference yeah, no, there? It, it yeah. is Mediterranean. I mean, but it would cover things like so Blanca de Lamu, the fizz we had on the um, one of the Christmas shows there mm. recently. Picpoul de Pinais down there on the coast, on the Mediterranean coast, and then as you go up 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 the land a bit up north uh, basically you end into um, kind of the, the bottom of the Massif Central and then almost over as far as Cahor I mean I just explained the language so Lang is the language of language dock the Occitan language which was the spoken language of all that part of, of, of southeastern France and it extends then into Roussillon which is the Spanish bit but the Languedoc is was the French bit and then they acquired Roussillon oh, from the Spanish right. so the difference between Roussillon and, and Languedoc is the Roussillon tends to be a bit more Spanish influenced but that's where Grenache came from Grenache came over the Pyrenees and it, 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 and moved its way up. Um, this is Syrah Grenache and it's just really chewy, tasty. Mm. Uh, it should be about 20 euros. It's 12 euros in Duns. Um, they convinced them to sell them. Duns convinced them to sell them for a great price. It was originally, the first time I ever tasted it was because the 2017 vintage got held up and couldn't be sold to American restaurants during COVID. So Duns bought it all um, and so they were selling it off ah. like a tenner and they've continued to sell some there because it's been a huge hit. So it, it is in all the Duns but some more than others. I mean, I was in the Georgia Street branch picking this up and there was about four left on the shelf so it, it does sell out but if you keep an eye on it, they, it you will find it and if you go to sort of less good duns or sorry less well known duns um, where people are not like the ones in Limerick is that what you mean? <laughs> I'm digging a hole again <laughs> the smaller duns yeah, is what small, probably, yes, possibly exactly. what you mean um, I've, I've aged this one I've got some bottles in yeah. 2017 that I bought for like a tenner when they reduced it for, for a promotion yeah. and so that delicious. bottle you've just bought this is 12 euros and it's 2018 uh, and it's a proper full bottle yeah. I think in France, That's they sell this for twelve fifty. Like, like it's cheaper okay, here, right. relatively speaking, than than Which it is, is in a Ireland. Miracle, yes. I, I would have thought. <laughs> exactly, for you know. absolutely. Anyway, I think it's great for the price. Yeah. I don't think you're going to get a cheaper, better wine at this. Uh, you know, with that much flavour. You know, yeah. Um, uh, um, Linda wants to know where can you stream everything ever all at once? Is it Disney? It's Prime. On? Prime. Yeah. Prime. It's on Prime. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. So hopefully, Linda. Linda says she's held hostage uh, by babies. So uh, hopefully, the babies will let you watch that. Uh, so, Chris, what film would you like to talk about? We'll first? go with Babylon Force. I think. Yeah. Oh. Movies and booze are Moncrief on News Talk. Next time, try softer, okay? But why, my darling Pierre? Why? Well, well, hey. Move that microphone 45 degrees, okay? That one, near to okay? Stop. No, 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 no. Hey, amigo, it's not Manuel, it's Manny. Manny Torres, okay? Yeah. Okay. okay, okay, vamos, vamos, ya, 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 vamos. Let's roll, people. Let's go. Take two. 
Right, okay, that's uh, Babylon set in 1926, which obviously has a techno soundtrack uh, at the time. Uh, So it's about that uh, transition period where perhaps, I suppose, a lot of actors who might have been big stars when you didn't require talking... Suddenly, felt uh, suddenly found out that their voice really wasn't that great. Yeah, yeah. And if you look closely, you can kind of spot. You know, there's Fatty Arbuckle over there. There's Clara Bow. Uh, but the characters, they're all fictional. You know, characters, yes. and they're yeah. an amalgamation of real life people. Um, but yeah, it is Damien Chazelle kind of going for this uh, story of how difficult the transition that was for some people. Um, and it's also Damien Chazelle showing off for three, three and a half hours. You know, this is how much I know about Hollywood, and this is uh, it's it, it's it's too much. But I'm going to try and summarize what I think is the plot in about 30 seconds if that's okay because okay, there's an go awful for lot going on here but we do start in 1926 it is in sunny Los Angeles and we start with an awful lot of elephant shite because we are going up a hill on the way to this Hollywood party with a guy named Manuel Torres his name uh, throughout the film is Manny portrayed by Diego Calva and he is an assistant for this film producer there's a big party on the house and they want an elephant there but unfortunately that's a difficult task especially when you don't have the you know tr- truck mm. or lorry to bring an elephant up the hill and the elephant just craps over everybody which so that's that's how we start. Once we get to the party, then we see that everyone of this era, whether they're making films, starring films, whatever, they're all off in their heads on coke. They're on speed. They're on drugs and drinking. They're naked. They're swinging from the ceilings. Everyone's having a great time or a terrible time. Pick your whatever. Yeah. Um, and Manny is kind of in charge of keeping that all together. And in between, he sees this, you know, uh, up and coming star, Nelly Leroy, portrayed by Margot Robbie. And she kind of blags her way in with Manny's help. And she hasn't gotten her big break yet, but she will by the time this party's over. And then the other side, we have Brad Pitt's uh, Jack Conrad. And he's the big side and superstar you know but you can tell that you know he might be on his way out things are about to change so long story short Jack gives Manny a job he's on his way then to kind of making movies he's all that he wants to experience the magic of movies for himself Nelly gets her first acting gig in the morning because some actress uh, overdoses at the thing at the party so we then follow these three careers one of them kind of you know ascends and then another one falls there's an awful lot of stars being born an awful lot of tragedy away we go yeah and, and do the three characters intersect with each other or is the they three do, parallel but stories? at a very superficial level so if you're looking for any sort of characterization here, if you're looking for any sort of... In- you, I mean, you immediately think to yourself, here is a Mexican immigrant, you know, uh, uh, living the Hollywood dream in the 1920s. And we're going to learn a little bit about what that means to him and about his family, maybe about his background. No. None of that. None yeah. of that. So it's sketchy stuff the whole way through. And you kind of get the feeling that Damien Chazelle, he's not really interested or he doesn't really know what any of this means, what it, what it means to the characters, what it might have meant for real people at that time. It's not about that. It's about, you know, just piling on the excesses and about, I think, now I think I've watched this thing, but I'm still not sure, showing us how mad a time this was for everybody because they were all just getting used to this medium which was still in its infancy when all of a sudden it changed and that you Mm. had sound. I should say that the opening half an hour, it's about half an hour before you get a title reveal. So you watch half an hour of just hedonistic behaviour. It's all this depravery and debauchery, everything. And then it says Babylon. And you're thinking to yourself, we've been here half an hour. How how come that's only coming up? I hated the opening half an hour. Hated it so much. And then the next half an hour, I loved it. It's got this, it takes place on, on, in the uh, desert. And you're watching loads of different silent films being made all at once. You've got Nelly Leroy's big break happening. And just the, the, the chaos, but a very controlled chaos to show you what filmmaking was like at that time. It is just superb and everyone is at their best in it and you also get like about an hour and a half later another day on set when you begin to see that when sound films were introduced uh, nobody really knew what they were doing and if a take was interrupted by a sneeze down the road they had to start again because the equipment was so (laughs) sensitive so stuff like that really makes that film but elsewhere it's just it's 
a mess. It's structureless, shapeless, sticky, icky, sweary. It's so all over the shop. There is too much of everything. I was exhausted one minute. I was thrilled one minute. I was excited. I was overwhelmed. I came out. I needed to lie down. There is just too much going on. And I get the feeling that nobody wanted to rein in Damien Chazelle because mm. this is the guy that won an Oscar for La La Land and he did Whiplash, that won Oscars. Nobody can touch this guy. Nobody can tell this guy that maybe half an hour of his film needs to go. Uh, that that's not true. No, somebody somebody should have stepped in. Um, but other than that, the the other than other than all that happening, <laughs> it was there amazing. Are, there are some nice performances in here. I think it's lucky to have Margot Robbie. She's a sensation in everything she does. Brad Pitt is very good. Brad Pitt is very good at playing this unlucky in love movie star who's kind of pushing very hard to you know convince people that he's still relevant. Wink yeah. wink nudge nudge. Yeah. So he's okay. very good at yeah. doing that. Um, but you've also got loads of different different like Olivia Wilde's in it for for about five seconds. She's oh. divorcing. Brad Pitt Toby Maguire shows up as this demented gar- car- uh, gangster who brings all of the characters down into some underworld uh, LA underworld freak show where there's rat eating muscular men there's flesh eating crocodiles it, it, it goes so bar- flesh from the red hot chili peppers or flea from the red hot chili <laughs> peppers is in it there's so much going on I've probably forgotten about half the bloody thing so I will say it's going to be an awful lot of things to an awful lot of people all at the same time that's how that's, that, that's what I came away from it I hated it I loved it I'll probably watch it again I don't think I want to see it again let me know what you think um how long is it in total? Three hours and eight minutes. Right, okay. Alan says that's a deciding factor for Alan. I assume that's uh, in the negative. But the thing is, like, is there a story arc here? It sounds like more like a no. portrait of a time rather than, you know, what, is there a, an inciting incident? Are we wondering, does this happen or does that happen? No, no. And you are never really around the characters long enough to kind of care for them because you kind of, you, you, you spend a little bit of time with, with Jack Conrad, who's this silent film star who can't handle the fact that he might be irrelevant. And then all of a sudden we're back to Manny. And, you know, we don't really learn an awful lot about Manny's background. And he's just spending most of his time running around trying to please people because he wants to climb the Hollywood ladder and every time you think you're going to learn more, something more about him, we then go off to Sidney Palmer, played by Yovan Adipo, this trumpet player. 20 minutes with him, back to Nelly Leroy. And you just don't really learn anything about them. And you don't really know why they would want to hang out with each other as well. They're, they're, aside from the fact that they all work in the same industry, mm. they all, they all have, they're all very different people. So it's very sketchy. It's all very superficial. It's surface level, basically. Yeah, but, e- but even these individual characters, do they have their own story arcs? They do, but they go and shoot. They, 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 they go off into uh, very stupid silly places unfortunately the, put it this way the last half an hour of this film is like something from the last half an hour of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and I don't want to give anything away okay alright uh, but it just descends into violence uh, chaos and, and also the last scene in this film I don't want to again I don't want to spoil the very last scene but the last scene in this film I, I, I talked about Avatar in this show before Christmas and I, and, and I said that you know it was probably one of the worst experiences I had in the cinema last year I take that back the last few minutes of Babylon is the worst experience I've had in the cinema in a very long time. The oh. very final shot of this film is just horrible. Okay. Horrible. Now I want to see yeah. it. Uh, Brian says, why waste time on Babylon when you have singing in the rain or the artist telling the same story much better? Yeah, there's literally scenes where characters are watching singing in the rain in this yeah. thing. And I, I was sitting there thinking to myself, I'd like to be doing what they're doing. Uh, so yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. Uh, Maria says in Limerick, you'll also get wine from O'Brien's and the Wine Buff. Uh, she says, thanks for that. And a few people asking you to repeat the name of the first oh, wine, actually, Leslie, so that you were talking Chateau, about. Chateau, Chateau. Cazal, C-A-Z-A-L-V-L, Cazal, V-L. Uh, and one other place, actually, that just occurred to me, uh, Ron Forrester, Forrester Wines, they, they're, they're a 
distributor of Lynch Bash and Lagrange and I remember even tasting a bunch of vintages of Lagrange to yeah. an event that they organised and they're F-O-R-E-S-T-A-L you'll find them on, on, on okay. the of loads of them. but O'Brien's actually there's loads of really, O'Brien's really do have good Bordeaux I mean like say Forecast Hoston is a good Bordeaux that they do which is a third the price of Echo de Lynch Bash never mind Shadow Lynch Bash yeah. um, Echo being the second one of Lynch Bash um, and they and yeah like Shadow Kerwin that O'Brien's do is very very drinkable but if you want the actual Lagrange and stuff um, Forrest will definitely have it because I know they import it uh, right now you were talking about Megan last week now there's already going to be a sequel yes Megan 2 Megan 2.0 I should say yeah. coming 2025 uh, some of the cast are returning I don't want to say who in case people haven't seen and it spoils it for them we know very little on plot uh, the screenwriters coming back Akela Cooper um, and the release date slated now is January 17th 2025 it's gone on to make it's like act like Ninety million dollars globally, like it's got, like it just, it's done so much better than I think anyone could have predicted, and mm. the reviews have been generally a lot more positive than I think people were expecting. So, yeah, and you, you saw it, you liked it, Chris. That's oh, great. Yeah, yeah. I think the best thing about it is it doesn't take itself too seriously. It leans into the fact that it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, uh, and it kind of you know tips its hat as well to Chucky, to Annabelle, but it's better than those. So yeah, I loved it. Okay, good for them. And the, the the Power Rangers are coming back together. That's that's yes. the most exciting showbiz news <laughs> of the week. This is the real news. Yeah. Uh, the Mighty Morphin gang are back together because the series turns 30 this year. So some of the original cast are reuniting for a scripted <laughs> Netflix special. What are you laughing at? Oh, right. So they're actually dressing up as Power Rangers. Well, I think they will be. I, I think they'd be like, would they even fit into the suits <laughs> at this point? I'm sure, I'm sure Netflix has the budget that they can just stick an extra panel on the back of the, the red Power Rangers bomb or something yeah. to stretch it out. But anyway, um, yeah, the, the, again, the synopsis is like they're in the middle of this global crisis and they're called on once again to be the heroes the world needs and they come face to face with a familiar threat from their past. So nostalgia galore. That'll be coming to Netflix uh, in April, April 19th. I wonder, will it be as unequivocally shite as it was before? I hope so. <laughs> I want, you know, I want, or like, will they do the all kind of nodding and stuff? You Please. Know? It yeah. needs to be. That's the authentic Power Rangers experience. Yeah. Movies and booze are Moncrief. On News Talk. Uh, Chris Fanula and Leslie are, are still with us. Let's move on to our second wine of the day, Leslie. The second Leslie. wine is Domaine Sarabande, S A R A B A N D E, and uh, they have a couple of wines in O'Brien's. Um, Monsterious, which is about 16, 17, it's a little lighter, a little fresher. And then this is with a little bit more serious, which is a Syrah Morvedra blend. Um, mm. These are all kind of Grenache Syrah Morvedra are the three kind of classic Southern Rhone grapes. Also, what you'd find in McLaren Vale in Southern Australia, which would have been used for uh, port like wines there. It's GSM we'll often call these wines so Grenache Syrah Morvedra but this is Syrah and Morvedra Morvedra actually is a difficult grape to ripen but it ripens quite well in Fougere which is where they are uh, so Fougere is just very close to Saint-Chinian and it's one of the other villages I'm going to mention a couple of villages actually from Languedoc so there's Fougere Saint-Chinian Fitou uh, Minervois and Minervois Le Vignier which is next door to it uh, Corbière and any of these are all within their own right famous Appalachians mm. but they're all technically then part of the Languedoc as well and Cote de Languedoc would be would be big as well. That's their kind of generic one, which which doesn't fit near a town because those other ones I mentioned are all towns and it's the land around them. So um, as I said, there's a, a Irish a viticulturalist uh, agronomist who looks after the vines and all that. And then her husband is the winemaker, and they I think they met in New Zealand because I know she was based in New Zealand working on Astrolab and some very famous wines out in. in out I think there. she met him at a disco oh, in no, Carcassonne. Oh, that was the previous one. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so these two are both uh, winemakers. Right. Uh, wine, okay. Involved in the production of wine, uh, Ness is uh, uh, less so. Um, 
But um, yeah, so this is, uh, they bought land in the Languedoc and uh, this is what happens these days is the, the winemakers How, how people, can you even do that? Because well, I thought it, it was it, like you'd well, have to well, queue for well, a century to buy land. Hectic. Well, actually that's one of the reasons why the Languedoc is so interesting is because land is really cheap there compared ah. to elsewhere. Like you're talking five or six million a hectare in Burgundy, maybe more, maybe 10 million depending on where you are. Down the Languedoc you probably get a couple of hectares in Fougere for Oh, maybe 15,000 a hectare maybe maybe less even do you wow. know what I mean which is, which is nothing in comparison okay. it's massive region I mean it is it is so big and there's a lot of old winemakers with old vines and some really interesting wines um, there's another thing is there's a lot of old vines that are like from the 1920s and stuff like that post phylloxera which was the disease that wiped them all out I think the, the, this one is from a vineyard that's only about uh, from the 90s or that but it's gobelet trained uh, bush vines which is great because you can really control production and quality with a gobelet trained um, so gobelet is just like a bush basically as opposed okay. to normally vines are grown in wires and they're climbing plants um, and then you, but that's only something you would be, be doing if you were using um machine harvesting and stuff like this. Mm. So this is, as I say, um, a little darker, a little more serious, a little fuller yes, than the previous is, one, a little yeah. richer, um, but some nice sort of creamy black fruits and a little bit of spice and so on. And, uh, and it's, it's lovely. Just, it's what are the proportions between the, the Syrah and the Mouvedra? Okay, so it's 60% Syrah, 45% Mouvedra, or yeah. so, or 65, something like yeah, that. I think that's 105%, little little but they're, they're thereabouts, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know it's 45% Mouvedra. By process of elimination, I'm no mathematician. Yeah. <laughs> the previous one, by the way, was also Syrah Grenache Morvedre. Ah, right, okay. Uh, but it was a bit more Syrah based. So I should have yes. actually uh, checked yeah. that out. But I suppose so that's, a, result, that's part know. of the scale, isn't it? Yeah. They're getting that little balance just right. And Grenache, I mean, we don't see much Grenache, but Grenache is hugely important. And Grenache is the main grape in Chateau de Pape, for example. And, and it, it has this sort of lovely, silky, light red fruit character. And then Syrah then will add depth to it. And pure Syrah can be very dark. Um, and Morvedre then is, is somewhere in between. And uh, mm. uh, Morvedre is difficult to in France you find it more in, in Spain as Monastrel and around Alicante and again it's it's often lovely there it gives a sort of smoky edge to the wines and, yeah um, absolutely gorgeous so absolutely gorgeous about 21 so euros so 21 yeah, brand, okay so yeah. but they're, they're, they're less they're less expensive one than my series is about 16 which is which is very drinkable yeah. and actually sometimes this comes down in price when they have it on spatula just not okay. the it's lovely absolutely okay. lovely right we'll move on uh, to our uh, second uh, movie of the day it is Tar here's a clip in 2013 Berlin elected Tarr as its principal conductor, and she's remained there ever since. Lydia Tarr has also written music for the stage and screen. She is one of only 15 EGOTs, meaning those who have won all four major entertainment awards. Thank you for joining us, Maestro. Thank you. How's the writing going? Not so well. I keep hearing something. Schopenhauer measured a man's intelligence against his sensitivity to noise. Do you ever find yourself overwhelmed by emotion? Yes. Yes, it does happen. Right, that's uh, Tara. Is there a problem with this, Chris, in the sense that that, that the trailer kind of says, oh, there's something... But it doesn't tell you what they, or even hint what the something is, what the problem is. Yeah. Like, she seems to be an extraordinarily accomplished woman. <laughs> so what's wrong? Yeah, that's, I think that's a sign of a good trailer, though, as well, because so many trailers tell us everything that happens in the film from this beginning to end in yeah. two and a half minutes. And I think the best sort of trailers are the ones that kind of, you know, we come away from and go, what is it? 
what's what's going on? What's mm. going to bring her down? Uh, but yeah, this is the uh, story of a very successful uh, fictional uh, composer uh, conductor by the name of Lydia Tarr, uh, who you know her, some of her professional accolades are inspired by and are maybe an amalgamation of those of you know real life U.S. conductors. But the whole you know, but the personal side of her life, you know, is completely fictional, and this right. is not based on anybody. Um, but uh, it has uh, had its fair uh, fair share of uh, uh, detractors and, and people kind of saying. You know that it's it's a shame to see because what what actually happens with Lydia Tarr in the film is that she is revealed to be an abuser, and there's a series of allegations that kind of you know are going to basically lead to her her downfall. Right. We've had okay. US, uh, we've had the US uh, uh, composer conductor uh, Marin Alsop saying that um, she was quite she was quite startled at first by the similarities in Lydia Tarr's professional accolades and her, and her own that they were both uh, the first female chief conductor of a of a European Philharmonic Orchestra and you know the awards that they that they one um, but she said that when she saw the film she was shocked and she was outraged and she was offended as a woman she was offended as a lesbian and she found the entire uh, endeavour to be anti-women uh, and, and also said that here we had this opportunity to tell this very powerful story of the first female chief conductor of this orchestra and to make her an abuser it kind of seems ridiculous because you know there are lots of real life stories about men in this place but I think Kate Blanchett has come out with a, with, a, with a perfect response which is that Todd Field the filmmaker here he knows exactly what he's doing in, in, in having this female character out in front and also they're they're trying to say with this film that you know abuse and power is genderless and that mm, we, we yeah. shouldn't be surprised uh, whatever the gender of the person with the power is we shouldn't be surprised uh, that you know whether it's a man or a woman but anyway this story I'll get to the plot uh, this story is about Lydia Tarr as I say she's fictional as I said at the top as well we've got this lovely framing device where she's interviewed by the New York and we learn so many things about her she's an EGOT recipient which is that you know she has an Emmy a Grammy an Oscar and a Tony there are only 16, 17 people in history that, ha- that, that mm. can claim that um, she has sold millions of records she has conducted orchestras all around the world she's got this position now in in Berlin as the leader of the Berlin Philharmonic and she is promoting uh, a forthcoming memoir and also a recording of Mahler's Fifth Symphony in Berlin. So she's very, very busy but there are cracks are beginning to show. Not only does the pandemic cast a groggy shadow over proceedings and it seems to have affected her personally, um, this fellowship student that she used to have and which, and, and, and which she was also romantically involved with, her career seems to have been ruined and Lydia might have had something to do with that. Her relationship as well with her concertmaster wife and with her child as, is, has, has begun to sour. Her relationship with the people she works with in Berlin has begun to Sarah, her relationship with her assistant, everything is starting to go wrong. And when it seems as though nothing else can go wrong for her, a series of allegations are made. And we know that they're probably true, but we're watching Lydia deny them and try to keep everything together. Right, okay. And so is it kind of about one person's implosion if, if pretty you much like. yeah yeah we're seeing you know this empire begin to crumble this carefully calibrated empire um, and you know the, at the, the film is very very good at introducing this character who we're initially in awe of I mean we have Adam Gopnik from the New Yorker listing off all of the achievements and also you're watching Kate Blanchett and I'll get to her performance in a second you're watching her and thinking this is incredible the stuff that you've done forgetting that it's a fictional person mm. but the character we're in awe of and then when we begin to get a sense of what she's really like and that she's quite sneaky she's quite slippery we're kind of a little bit intimidated we're quite weary later we're horrified and then when, after three hours we're just sad about the whole thing because 
it, there, there's not a good person behind the behind these achievements. Um, and yes, again, like going back to something that Marin Alsop said, we're so used to kind of seeing men in this role. But again, I think the film it does try to start an awful lot of conversations, and it does try to maybe poke poke the audience a little bit. There's a scene that's going around on, on Twitter at the minute that, which I think is one of the best scenes in the film, where Lydia Tarr is giving this guest talk at Hulliard, and she is talking to a bisexual person of color who's also transgender, who says that they can't listen to Bach and Beethoven because there are all these stories about you know white white 19, 18, 17th, 18th, 19th century composers who uh, may or may have not been misogynistic mm. and that completely clouds the judgment of the music and Lydia Tarr just goes to town on them. And you're kind of wondering, okay, right, okay, in this, you know, fictionalised, scripted argument about identity politics and about cancel culture, what's the film trying to say to us? And it doesn't matter, I think, if we're coming away with different opinions. That's exactly what Todd Fields try- is trying to do. He's yes, trying to say, yeah. let's have a conversation about this. We shouldn't shout at each other. Let's have a, a, a discussion about it. Um, all of that aside, is it any use? Is it, wor- is it? Does it work as a piece of entertainment? It really does. It's very good as a drama. It's uh, uh, phenomenal as a thriller. It actually works a little bit as a psychological horror at times. And I think the best thing about it is Kate Blanchett. Uh, she is just unbeatable here. And I also have no doubt she is going to win a third Oscar next month. I know the nominations haven't been announced yet. Right. But she does something here which is just incredible, which you don't see in every other film. You come away from this you you are un- incapable of imagining anyone else in the role, and you know when you sit yes, there sometimes, yeah, Sean, you're a yeah. bit like, oh, someone else would have been better at this, or someone else yeah. was offered this role for us. No, it's Kate Blanchett all the way. So it's a film I think that was designed to start a conversation that will annoy an awful lot of people, but it is just extraordinary. Yeah, no, because I suppose it's it's a credit to the filmmaker, but also to her that people keep thinking this is based on a real person yeah, yeah. because it, she inhabits it so much. Oh, they've taken the, uh, the the care and the time and the and the attention to craft something that does feel as though, you know, it, it, there's an air of authenticity here that you don't get with other films in, in of, of, you know, of a similar genre. Um, but yeah, everything, about, I love this. And also, I just said that the last film was nearly three hours long. I felt that. I didn't with this one. Yeah, and both those are in cinemas. We're not talking about cinemas. Stuff. Yeah, right. Okay, so uh, uh, finally, Fanula, we have uh, one thing that's not coming back and one thing that is coming back. Yes, uh, Gossip Girl, the reboot, has been cancelled after two seasons. Uh, the executive producer, Joshua Saffron, has come out today. I think there's hopes from his side that they'll be able to shop it around, but from what I've heard, the series wasn't great. I think the second series was a little bit better, but yeah, it just kind of adds to all these cuts that HBO Max are making. I think viewership-wise it had done well, but again, you're banking on, it has that name recognition of being Mm. Gossip Girl. Um, And then Outlander is coming back for an eighth series, but it's going to be its last, was kind of the the jumping platform for Katrina Balfe. There's going to be a prequel to that if people are interested in that. Like, Outlander kind of means nothing to me, but the Outlander fans are probably going to love this. Uh, It's Blood of My Blood. That's been greenlit consisting of 10 episodes so that'll be coming out next year year after-ish so watch this space for that and then also we have confirmation of Ted Lasso's third season kind of confirmation as to when it's coming they've said spring so I'd imagine like March, April is supposed to be the last season of the show altogether just based on things that uh, Bill Lawrence has said and Brett Goldstein has said that this is kind of the finishing of the arc I cannot wait for this if it does come in March that's going to be a bumper month for TV because that's also when Succession's fourth season is Supposed to be right. out. That's unconfirmed. Why are they so? Why are they always so vague about when TV shows are coming back? Is it because they don't know, or are they're keeping suspense up? Or well, look, I know with Succession, I think they are still filming scenes because mm. I was I follow someone on Instagram who was they, wherever they're shooting, they live and they saw and there was great excitement there. With Ted Lasso, I'm not sure because I'm pretty sure it's like tied up. Like I'm pretty sure everything mm. is shot and it's ready to go. So I don't know. I don't know actually. Is yeah, because I wonder is it because they're kind of waiting and they're looking around to see who's gonna. You know, 
other TV shows that might they might see as competitors. Well, and maybe and, that's the thing. Maybe yeah. they're waiting for a confirmation of a succession. And I'm, there are other shows in that window. I'm just obsessed with succession. That's why I keep referencing it. But yeah, that's and it's probably going to be one of their biggest competitions. Yeah, yeah, maybe they're waiting for confirmation there before they're like, then, you can watch it all on Apple TV Plus now. So, yeah, yeah, or a week later. Right, that's it. That's our uh, lot for today. The winner today uh, of that thousand euro holiday voucher courtesy of FBD is Siobhan Keenahan from Leash Fire Breathing Dragons uh, was her suggestion. That's a great name for an insurance company. Maybe not so comforting, but a very imaginative one. Uh, nonetheless, uh, thanks, to, uh, uh, thanks to our panel today of Chris uh, and Leslie and Fanula. Movies and Booze, I'm Moncrief on News Talk.